trigger warning. This episode includes discussion and reading about sensitive topics such as childhood trauma, emotional and domestic abuse, and more. I acknowledge that this content may be particularly difficult to listen to. I encourage any listener out there to prioritize your mental and physical well-being any way you see fit. If that means sitting this episode out, I love you and I'll see you next week. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Woman Identified. I'm your host, Taylor Allgood, and today we're going to be talking about a rather sensitive topic. With the help and support from my friends Dre and Nettie, we will be exploring childhood trauma and how to heal from it. For my regular listeners out there, you should know Dre from episode one, but I want to take a few moments to introduce my friend Nettie because this is her debut on Woman Identified. So welcome, Nettie. Tell listeners a little bit about yourself. Thank you. I also go to University of Cincinnati. This is actually my last semester, so it's a little bittersweet. Um, I was interested in this topic today because I've actually recently been getting a lot more in tune with trauma, specifically childhood trauma, and how it's affecting me today and how I can move on because since I'm about to graduate, I think I'm kind of needing to get into adulthood a little bit more. Of course. Well, thank you so much, Nettie, for being here. And of course, thank you, Dre, for being here. Um, Thank you to the two brave souls who are joining me with this discussion. Um, I know this is not going to be an easy conversation, but it's going to be rewarding for sure. Um, And so I just want to say how much I appreciate you both for joining me and being vulnerable and sharing your stories with me during this time. Um, And hopefully listeners as well as ourselves will be able to benefit from this conversation. Okay, before we get started, I think it would be a good idea if all of us just took a moment to gather our breath and just think about the topic ahead because I want us all to go into this conversation with a good headspace and leave the conversation with a good headspace. So if we just want to take a moment and just take a few breaths... All right. Okay. How are we feeling? Good. 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 Good? Are we feeling ready to dive into some questions? Let's do it. And if you um, both have any questions throughout the episode that you would like to pose to the group for discussion, please feel free. Um, We're just kind of going to loosely go off of some questions that I've personally had or that have led my journey. Um, And so I want to make sure that if you have something you want to talk about, that you're able to talk about it as well. Um, So getting into it, my first question for you all is, how do you personally define trauma? I've definitely come to realize that it's something that can be decently enduring, Um, you know, and that could honestly be for just some months, you know, maybe the rest of that year, but it could be something that happened, you know, when you were 10 and you're 21 years old, like, oh my goodness, you know, like, how do I move on from that? How do I heal from that? It's like a real physical wound, you know, some wounds kind of scar, you know, like they Mm -hmm. may scar for the rest of your life, you know, but it might be something that you don't even feel anymore. So it really, it depends. Yeah. And going off of what Nettie said as well, like I know personally sometimes trauma comes and hits me in waves. Like it just comes out of literally nowhere. And you really think to yourself like, wow, I really went through that. Like and I didn't even feel a thing at that moment. And you're just feeling it, like you said, years later. And how do you navigate that? And why does that happen? It's very confusing. I think trauma can be very confusing. Mm-hmm. Going off that, like, I would agree that I think trauma comes in many forms. I think oftentimes 
people think that to have experienced trauma, there needs to be some like defining moment or experience in your life that like altered you forever. And that can be true to some extent. And I do think there is truth to that. But I also think that everyone has experienced trauma in some form but it doesn't all look the same so it's harder to identify in different people um a book that i read called how to do the work by dr nicole lampora it's one of my favorite books to this day in in the book she really talks about how to identify childhood trauma within yourself how to identify patterns um that may be in you maybe in your family um to really break that cycle and move forward and heal yourself um and i really like what she says in one of her chapters i have it pulled up it says trauma occurred when we consistently betrayed ourselves for love were consistently treated in a way that made us feel unworthy or unacceptable, resulting in a severed connection to our authentic self. And I think broadly that's a great definition of trauma because it's inclusive to the fact that we all have different versions and different stories and different experiences with times when our our authentic selves were betrayed in some way or that we felt like we had to fit into a box um, to gain someone's love and attention. I really like that quote too, specifically where it talks about that detachment from the authentic self because I feel like I've noticed that a lot of identifying my childhood trauma was identifying moments where whoa like you know when you look at pictures of me when I was seven like I was so confident like you could not tell me anything you Mm -hmm. could not tell me anything and then you look at a picture of me you know maybe at 17 and I look you know awkward I'm feel I look uncomfortable you know what I mean and it's like what changed what led me to that like you know what I mean I was the same person so like you were saying you know what I mean did I try to fit into somebody else's box and it didn't make sense because I'm me I'm not what they want me to be Mm -hmm. and I think that's where that little 20-something identity crisis comes in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So now we're going to get a little bit deeper, if that's okay with both of you. So reflecting back to your own childhood, I'm curious to hear both of your stories about what your childhoods were like and Particularly, what were your relationships like with your parents, siblings, guardians, etc.? Okay, so um, my parents, I did not know my father growing up. I think I, the first time I met him, I was eight years old, and that was at his father's funeral, but I didn't really think much of it when I was there because I did not know him. I didn't grow up with him. They didn't really mean anything to me. So my immediate family whenever I was younger was my mom, my stepfather, who I would just call my dad. He was just basically my dad because I'd known him since I was two. Um, And then my three sisters. But I had other siblings on my dad's side, but didn't know them either. So it just felt very foreign to me, like whenever I would be around him. So I just told my mom one day, like, I don't want to be over there. I'm not comfortable. But anyways, besides that, uh, I had, my mom was an addict. She was an alcoholic and she was also an addict on pills. And both of my parents were very absent in my life. Like, I would say my grandmother was more of a mother figure, but she was more of a provider. But she was also emotionally absent as well because she was just like miserable in her life. So whenever you have like an addict parent, you know, they're always out, you know, looking for more drugs, you know, trying to spend their money. They don't have like a consistent job, things like that. So my older sister and I, we would always be watching my younger sisters, you know, take on the parent role. Right. And because we never knew when our parents would be back home. So, you know, it was kind of like I had to grow up very, very fast and take on roles like at a very young age which I think affects me now because, like, I don't want to be a parent, really, because I feel like I've already done that. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents' relationship was never stable. There's a lot of, like, domestic abuse and emotional abuse. And, like, um, one time I think I saw my dad, my stepfather, 
he was trying to like hang himself in like the garage like it was just a very toxic environment my whole life and something that I really wanted to like get away from so even like when it comes to relationships like I it's hard for me to see myself in one because I've never been shown like a healthy one like with real love so and my mom also died when I was 12 she died from a drug overdose as well um before she died I really like regretted not seeing her as often because she was just like living a whole nother life like we didn't know where she was what she was doing half the time when we would see her when she was coming back and like I adored my mom I loved her so um it was like just really hard for me to like fathom when she was gone that um I didn't talk to her as much as I did so I always talk to her now though like just when I'm by myself and just like let her know like I'm sorry like I love her and like just guide me show me the way like I live for her so but I'm kind of getting close with my dad now we're okay we're kind of cool but I just wanted to make sure I like had some sort of a relationship with him if he were to die too because he's kind of old so that's me though (laughs) thank you so much for sharing that Dre thank you um yeah thank you for going first it really (laughs) it really helps me kind of get get my jitters out too but um I so my immediate family has always kind of been myself my cousin my grandmother my mother and father and my uncle um my grandmother has two other daughters so I have two other aunts that also like when I was very young were part of the immediate family but um one has schizophrenia so you know we tried our best to really support her and love her but I mean Unfortunately, we really didn't have the training to understand, you know, how to help her best. And she was a very grown woman, you know, we can't control her at all. So um, that made the immediate family a little bit smaller. Um, But honestly, we were such a big unit so often because we were all struggling, really. Um, My parents were very young when they had me, especially now that I am the age you know, that my father was when I was born and, you know, experience being the age that my mother was when I was born. My mother was 16 when I was born. She had just turned 16 a month before and my father had just turned 21. So, you know, as somebody that is now 21 and was 16, I realized like, oh, that's why, (laughs) that's why things were pretty chaotic. Like we all grew up together, honestly. and then my uncle too, he, um, my uncle and my cousin, uh, my cousin's like a brother to me. He's about five years older than me, but we literally grew up together because, you know, we had to support each other through the things we were going through. We were the only two people that really understood what was going on. Um, it's like at the time, especially being a child, you almost see things like that, like it's a movie you know what I mean because that's the only other time that you see things like that like oh you know there's family members fighting my parents are you know getting emotionally or physically abusive with each other or you know police are here like there's things that you can relate to when you watch a movie so that's really the only way that it makes sense sometimes but I feel like we were really such a strong unit because we needed each other um we all had a struggle growing up, you know, due to financial reasons, um, due to being incarcerated, due to having a child young and having to try to grow up and navigate through life, figure out yourself, figure out this relationship with this person that you don't even really know the best, you know, the age gap. There was there was just so much in every single family member's life that I feel like we were all honestly very damaged people just taking it out on each other. Um, like constantly. My, I remember um, we actually all lived in a two-bedroom apartment together at one point and I remember my grandmother told me that she would like wait in the parking lot and just look up to the apartment and just feel such a like a dark negative energy. You know like there was a lot of love like we all to this day love each other so much you know it's very deep and it's always ran deep but we we're all you know very stressed out damaged individuals and you know, that's, I feel like a part of generational trauma too, is that 
you know, who's who's going to be the first one to heal? Who's going to be the first one to notice the patterns? Like, you know, who's going to pick up the book like you did and, you know, look into what the patterns even are? How can you fix something if you don't even know, you know, who you're just living your life? It doesn't seem like patterns. It's just you living. So um, I think that now that I'm older, we all actually have a pretty great relationship with each other. Um, my parents have split. But even they have a good relationship with each other now, um, separated, because I think we all just finally started to grow up and realize the patterns that we were in and that we wanted better for ourselves and for each other to love each other more healthy. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, Nettie. Um, That actually brings up um, something uh, from the book that I wanted to um, talk through with you all kind of before I shared my story. Um, you mentioned a lot about like generational trauma um, and how that kind of carries on, um, you know, as it says, through generations. And so in the book, um, Dr. Lampora, she lays out seven different inner child archetypes. And I find these interesting and I wanted to bring them up with you all because they're helpful for identifying the variations in like our inner child reaction. So like as adults, like the things that make us react, she argues comes from, you know, different inner child archetypes that we have and that we developed when we were younger. Um, So the first one is the caretaker. And she says it typically comes from a codependent dynamic. They gain a sense of identity and self-worth through neglecting their own needs. Believes that the only way to receive love is to cater to others and ignore their own needs. The second one is the overachiever. This person feels seen, heard, and valued through success and achievement uses external validation as a way to cope with low self-worth, believes that the only way to receive love is through achievement. On the other hand, there is the underachiever. This person keeps themselves small, unseen, and beneath their potential due to fear of criticism or shame about failure, takes themselves out of the emotional game before it's even played, believes that the only way to receive love is to stay invisible. The next one is the rescuer slash protector. This person ferociously attempts to rescue those around them in an attempt to heal from their own vulnerability, especially in childhood. Views others as helpless, incapable, independent, and derives their love and self-worth from being in a position of power believes that the only way to receive love is to help others by focusing on their wants and needs and helping them solve their problems. The next one is the life of the party. This person is always happy and cheerful and comedic and never shows pain, weakness, or vulnerability. It's likely that this inner child was shamed for their emotional state, believes that the only way to feel okay and receive love is to make sure that everyone around them is happy. The next person is the yes person. This person drops everything and neglects all needs in the service of others, was likely modeled self-sacrifice in childhood and engaged in deep codependency patterns, much as the caretaker did believes that the only way to receive love is to be both good and selfless. And lastly, there's the hero worshiper. This person needs to have a person or guru to follow, likely emerges from an inner child wound made by a caretaker who is perceived as superhuman or without faults, believes that the only way to receive love is to reject their own needs and desires and view others as a model to learn how to live. So in sum, there's the caretaker, the overachiever, the underachiever, the rescuer slash protector, the life of the party, 
the yes person than the hero worshiper. Okay, I definitely identify with the caretaker, life of the party, protector, and yes man, for sure. I'm a people pleaser to the core. I'm trying to move away from that lately, but it's always been like that my whole life because I felt like if I didn't do something like clean the house or um, go outside and pick some flowers or something like I feel like I needed to do something to feel, you know, loved and, you know, worthy, get good grades. I don't know, do well in sports, even though I didn't really like sports that much. It was just it was just something to do to show my parents that they would say I'm proud of me or something, you know. Um, I will say um, piggybacking off of the people pleasing yeah. because Dre and I will all like we can talk every day all day about our people pleasing behaviors they are ridiculous but they just feel so necessary because I feel like it is rooted in you know maybe that um, the yes man life of the party kind of conditioning growing up I think that a lot of people don't get a good understanding of unconditional love. You know, some people I don't think ever experience unconditional love. And it's really unfortunate because I feel like that's the purest form of love. It's just hard because there's a lot more to accept with that. You know, it's very easy to be like, oh, if you don't, you know, clean the 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 dishes if you don't do the dishes if your room isn't clean if you don't act a certain way you don't do certain things you know you don't deserve a degree of love and it really shouldn't be that way in you know familial relationships you know with your parents with loved ones it that's really not how it should be at all um and i think that the life of the party and the yes man definitely resonate with me a lot especially the life of the party because i've always been kind of deemed like a class clown like and I think that's something I can note about my family is that no matter what we're going through like we're gonna make a joke about it like everybody's gonna end up laughing about it we have to there's Mm -hmm. just no matter how bad it gets you know give it the very most a year we're gonna make a joke out of it um because I just feel like when things like generational trauma happen or when you just have so much enduring trauma you have to realize that kind of sometimes that's a part of life you know like people don't choose to have trauma you know we all come with a certain amount of baggage and a certain amount of scars and at the end of the day those are the cards that you're dealt with and you have to make it work um you know if you try to just carry the trauma with you with everything in such a negative way and act like it's this weight that's holding you down in life um then that's exactly what it's going to be that's it's all your perspective you know but if you would rather use it as a lesson, as my therapist always says. Um, you know, take it as a lesson that you can bring with you tomorrow into the next incident and know, you know what I mean, I got through it. You know, that's that's always the big takeaway from trauma is, well, I'm here to talk about it now, so obviously I got through it. You know what I mean? So yeah. when it comes again, because it probably will, <laughs> I'm going to get through it. I know that. So, you know, that can be a pretty settling thought sometimes. And we were also just talking about, weren't we talking about like how um, not to focus on the past so much because it was literally the past. Like this is the present now. Like you're focused on something that happened like a month ago or exactly. years ago. Like what are you doing right now to benefit your future with right. that? Like not what is being, yesterday exactly. doing right now? Like, Healing takes a lifetime. It's net like there's no set stone date for when you're gonna be done healing. It's going to come go with you until like you die. Like you're going to heal your whole life. And it's really a decision to like really like you said, you go to therapy, like that's a big decision to try to heal. Like you really just gotta recognize if you wanna do better for yourself, truthfully. It's a marathon, not a race. Yes. For real. Like mm-hmm. life is a marathon. You can't yes. Like, you can't rush through it, you know what I mean? Like, no. it's got to be a, this experience. And I always think to myself, what if I died tomorrow? Why yeah. am I stressed about that? Right. Or, like, thinking about my childhood, like, I should think about it, but, like, what can I learn from it? What can I not bring to, like, my future children's lives? Or even my little sisters, I have siblings. Like, I'm trying to, like, help them, too. So I got to show an example for that. And I think that helps, too. Like you were saying, you know, sometimes making it bigger than just you kind of makes it easier to deal with like hold on like it's not just all doom and gloom for me like you know what I mean like 
I want to live for something else, like not just for me. Like I want to live for, you know, making sure my sisters are feeling loved and cared for. You know and even I mean? my friends, like I, exactly. we all talk about mm-hmm. childhood trauma all the time and our yeah. families all the time. And it's so like therapeutic for me to talk about that. Not only do I learn more about y'all and like why you are the way you are now, but it's just it's just beautiful to know, you know, everybody's life is not perfect. Like, it's just not. And most people run from the idea of talking about their childhood trauma because oftentimes it can open wounds and it can be uncomfortable to sit in that pain and to really acknowledge those feelings. But honestly, ever since I've started doing the work to address my inner wounds and trying to heal myself, I felt so much more confident and so much more comfortable in myself like as an adult and I know as you say like the work never is done so it's going to be a lifelong process but I feel that much better like each year going into adulthood knowing that like I still continue to nurture my inner child because there's a TikTok that I saw not to get off topic but there's this TikTok that I saw and it was like a birthday TikTok and you wouldn't think anything about it at first. It was just like this cute kind of like homage to this girl who was like turning 27. But then she was like talking about how she's 27 today, but she's also 21, 15. She's still the seven-year-old, the three-year-old, the infant that she was from the very beginning. Like, And I think that's so true, especially regarding this topic. Like, As we get older, we don't just move on from the past versions of ourselves. We are the past versions of ourselves. We are every age that we've ever been and then our current age. And so essentially when we're not healing our inner child or when we're not nurturing the parts of us that need nurtured, we're still doing a disservice to our current selves Mm -hmm. because we're all one, you know? I love it. (laughs) My, um... My children's learning professor, she started the class out with talking about how, you know, they call it children's learning and everything, but we're literally all still children that are learning. But yeah, a good takeaway from my therapist that honestly I think about almost every day is um, she's she straight up said, I, that's what I love about her. She'll just call it out. She's like, you are not a good friend to yourself at all. You know, you claim, claim to be this people pleaser and you definitely are pleasing the hell out of everybody else. But like, if you were your own friend, you know, if Annette, Nettie was some other person that you were friends with, like, do you think you would be being a good friend to them? Like the way you talk about yourself, the way you, you know, don't have self-care you know you just get up go to work go to class go home you know what I mean you're not really you know you'll wash your face but are you really like in it are you really you know taking care of yourself are you just doing it like it's a chore you know what Mm -hmm. I mean like Mm -hmm. and it's like that's so true and like you said it's a complete disservice to me and to you know the netty that was seven years old and you know thought that beauty and self-care and doing face masks with granny was like the best thing ever like this needs to happen every night you know what i mean like what happened to that why can't i have that same energy for myself you know i don't mind spending my last dime on you know gifts for my mother or my grandmother to make sure that they you know are making sure they get a massage or get their nails done get you know something good to eat but when it comes to myself it's like whatever you know as long as as long as the the body is fed or whatever I drink a bottle of water I'll be cool right but um but anyways I'm kind of getting off topic the main takeaway is really that um you need to befriend like all of yourself like you said you're one whole person so if you know 10 year old Nettie is like you know that stuffed animal is really cute I want that like that needs to be in our bed. Like, okay, like whatever you say, I have the $10. Like, okay, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I actually, I really love working with children and I feel like that's where my softer side comes out. So I pay very close attention to the younger Nettie because it's like, you know, she's still there and she deserves to be taken care of. Like children are very sensitive beings. Like they deserve a lot of compassion and love, like unconditionally, really. You know what I mean? I love that. We could literally have a whole episode about nurturing our inner child because 
I talk about this with all my friends, Dranos. If you go inside my house, I have kids crafts yep. on my shelves everywhere. I do painting. I do everything. Like, it literally looks like a giant kid's house. Like, Taylor takes her craft seriously. <laughs> yep. like, and so I love serious. it. I yes. love it. She does. She be focused. Because... Young Taylor loves crafts. That's like how she was. young Taylor loved art. She loved expressing herself through any, you know, type of artistic means. And so when I'm really feeling stressed and down, like painting is my escape. And I feel like that's also a way that you can learn more about yourself because like you said, like in a way like you're supposed to be friends with yourself. Like doing crafts is me getting to spend time with younger Taylor and being able to tell her, you know, everything ended up being okay. You know what I mean? Um but kind of getting back um, to our personal stories, um, I guess I never really kind of mentioned what I identified with, but mine that I most align with is definitely the overachiever and the yes person. Um, I don't know if that's obvious to some people or not, but I feel like something that has characterized my life and reputation like as an adult has been like oh Taylor's so involved Taylor does this Taylor does that and it's very flattering I don't mean to come across as you know ungrateful for the you know positive connections and you know some of the attention that I receive but in a way it does shed light on a lot of like unaddressed wounds that I've had from my childhood and one of them is like the overachiever archetype, you know, and I don't know if this was ever explicitly mentioned in my childhood. Like my parents were never super strict about grades and everything, but I think it's just the way that I perceived their love somehow made me feel that it was best achieved through through achievement. Um, I did have three other siblings growing up. Um, so there was four siblings on my dad's side and then two siblings on my mom's side. Um, and so from my mom's side, I was the youngest. And then from my dad's side, I was the male child. So it was always this like constant shifting dynamic of like being the young child in the family and then being the middle child, like fighting for, you know, attention. Um, And so I think that early on, somehow I just clung to this idea of like staying involved and like becoming the favorite through different achievements and stuff in a a hope that it would gain like my father's love, Um, which kind of brings me to my personal kind of relationship with like my childhood. So thinking back to my childhood I know we were discussing a little bit um, earlier um, before the episode started about how we kind of think about our childhood um, which we'll talk more about here shortly but I think it's um, kind of like important for me to like share that as far as like my childhood is concerned like I do feel like overall I had, you know, a good childhood, um, but I also partly recognize that that comes from a lot of shielding that was done um, from my from my older sister. I have so much love for my sister because being an adult and looking back on, you know, actually some parts of my childhood that maybe weren't so positive, I think my sister took on a lot of that burden of shielding her younger sister from the reality of that. So while my perception of our childhood was mostly positive, I realized that it was at the expense of like my older sister. So I just kind of say that as like a thanks to her because I know that there are some things that even still as a 21 year old, I and just now learning to kind of face head on. Um, But just to give a quick rundown, I guess, um, I was primarily raised by my single mother. Um, 
growing up, you know, we did struggle financially a bit seeing as though um, my mother was, you know, on her own. Um, when I was a child, I remember my aunt, her sister, um, moving into our household to provide some, like, economic and, like, emotional relief of, like, not having that, um, like, another parent figure in the house. So, basically, I feel like two of my biggest, like, parent figures growing up were my mom and my aunt. And I feel like that is why I you know, have like the love and appreciation for women that I do now because I was raised in a household of women and, you know, they were the breadwinners. They were, you know, the heads of the household. And so I've never thought any differently about that. Um, And it really did encourage me to be the independent person I am now. But that doesn't mean I also didn't struggle with the fact that I feel like I lacked a lot of critical love from my father growing up daddy issues if you will um and I think that's another big big part that I'm just now coming to terms with I've had conversations with my mom about this and she's actually reached out you know last year and like apologized for this which really threw me off guard but like I really appreciated was that when she, or when I was younger, um, she feels as though she had to like force a relationship between my sister and I um, and our father, um, trying to like keep him in our lives because she thought that that's what was necessary for like our growth. And like, that's still a big question I have now is whether I, whether that was a good idea to like, you know, have him in my life growing up and find out later in life that, you know, things weren't as they seemed or if I should have just not, you know, had him in my life at all. So I don't blame her for anything, but it is just interesting to think about because, you know, going back to that whole idea that my childhood was great and everything, but there was always this feeling that something was missing. And I think it was that feeling of abandonment that I felt um, from my father. You know, he was still in my life, but like at a distance constantly. And I was the only child out of the four children who um, never got to experience two parents in a household at one time. And so my entire experience was just being raised by my mother. Um, But then when I reached the age um, of three or four my younger brother was born and then I witnessed you know my dad start a household with his new children his new wife um and I think I didn't realize like the emotional toll that that had on me until later in life and I remember this bothering me as like early as 12 and like letting my dad know like hey you know like I just feel really kind of abandoned that like every child of yours got to like spend time with you and I just feel like we've never had that connection so early on I really feel like I felt disconnected um but nonetheless I still tried to do anything I could to maintain what little relationship we had um and so it was a lot of people pleasing it was a lot of overachieving because to me even though it might not have been the case that's what I felt like was facilitating like our relationship um and looking back you know it it's still clearly not in you know we can have conversations sometimes about like the different personality traits of our parents um but you know being raised in part by a narcissistic parent is very difficult because you never feel like you have that conditional love that's that's very real like dealing with a narcissist especially when it's not like you have a choice you know that's your father and that's the only father you're ever going to have in your life you know what I mean I think that's what hit me and I don't know if it hit Dre you know I know you said that you um started to really want to have a relationship with your father because he's getting older because that's literally what hit me like man you know he definitely caused a lot of pain and a lot of trauma but this is the only dad I'm ever going to have like you know do 
I feel like this is something that I should try to preserve. Is it even my job? Because I think when you deal with a narcissist, it is your job. Like you maintain the relationship, you make sure they're good, you make sure that their ego is good, everything. You know what I mean? And that that becomes a pattern. Like that's what makes sense to you. I have to make sure that this person is good or that's my bad. Like that's my fault. Something's wrong with me. And that's so funny that you say that because actually this topic has kind of been on my mind recently and I know that I had talked with Dre about this but um, recently I did make the decision um, to reach out to my father and let him know that I would not like to further a relationship with him at this moment and I think that was like a personal choice for me because as you said dealing with narcissistic parents is like it's your responsibility to maintain that relationship. And a few weeks back, I was out with Dre and Olivia, and we were having a good time. And I got this text out of nowhere from my dad. And it was like, you need to do a better job of checking up on me. Like, I've been going through stuff lately, and you don't care, blah, blah, blah. And I think, like, after 21 years, that text really just set me over the edge. And I was just like... I need to check up on you (laughs) like I don't know it really just did something to me and so finally I got the strength to share with him what had been on my mind for so long but I could not agree more like as children like we're you know taught that it's something that we're doing wrong or something that we need to do but as a parent like that's your child you need to facilitate that relationship you need to make sure that they're okay like why is it my job to check on you when you're my father Mm -hmm. you know so I like to zoom out of that topic and think about how you know parents they have their inner child as well and I feel like our generation of parents struggle very much with like looking within like they have a very big issue with it with self-reflection with even their trauma when they were younger as well like I know from just talking with you two about your parents and like what your parents experienced growing up and the hardships they had to face thinking about how my parents weren't properly loved by their parents like it's like a generational thing so I also think like I give them a little bit of grace because they don't understand but also at the same time I do hold them accountable because you're grown you know you are my parent you should be doing the work that's what a parent is supposed to do if you genuinely care about your child and keeping the connection but I feel like it's also beautiful to have the choice to not have to have a relationship with them because you don't have to family you don't have to keep you know your family around if you do not want to so I think the fact that you had the courage to even do that and like let your dad know and be an adult about it like he's going to remember that that's going to stick with him and it should maybe he'll change and i hope he does <laughs> and i really respect that like boundaries they're very necessary especially if you've already been conditioned to get walked all over you know what i mean it's even more of a um priority to set your boundaries and even understand what boundaries you need to be you know protected and feel comfortable and I think our parents look at us like we're still children like they don't see that we are adults now we can say whatever we want we can do whatever we want like you're not that big of an authority figure over me anymore mm-hmm. so I think they also that's why I think he thinks like as you being a child his child you need to reach out and that's not the case like mm-hmm. You know, you have your own life things going on as well now, too. And that was, like, one of the scariest things I've ever done because growing up, there was no such thing as standing up to my father. We had a very—when I did spend time in his household, it was very disciplined, very ordered, no talking back, no nothing. And it was very different from the dynamic that I had with my mom. So it was very confusing as a child having to switch between households with different visitation and things like that and having a whole nother set of rules and like things to follow. But it was so liberating in the end. Like no matter how emotional it's been for me lately to come to terms with the fact that I had to do that, it's been so liberating because if I had the power to stand up to my family member and set boundaries with him there's literally no one that can stand in my way from setting boundaries with like other people and you know relationships and you know all types of relationships it really does start with the family you know 
But um, kind of going off of that discussion, another question I had is how do you think your childhood has played a role in how you show up in relationships now? Um, I know you brought up daddy issues before and, you know, a lot of people joke about it, but that is definitely real. You know, daddy issues and mommy issues. I feel like maybe we need to cut back on the jokes because they're definitely leaking into relationship issues. I mean, that's the literal first relationship that most of us even see, comprehend and take with us, whether we want to or not. Like, that's literally the first definition. Um... And I think that it's then our choice to, you know, pick and choose what we want to carry with us. But it has to be a very conscious process, because I think when you move unconsciously, like I was in the past, um, I ended up getting into the exact same issues that I was thinking I would naturally want to avoid. You know, you think, oh, like, I didn't like how my parents talked to each other. I don't like how they treated each other. I would never be like them. I would never. You know, we love to say that. But it's a lot more of a conscious effort than you think, Um, because I feel like me personally, I didn't even realize that I was so deep into it until I was already like almost too far gone. And it's like, wow, like, do I really want to be as miserable as they were? You know, um, it's very unfortunate. But, you know, growing up, I witnessed my parents, you know, both being very suicidal over, you know, being in the relationship with each other and my father tried to tell me, you know, this is how relationships are, you know, that he was literally trying to tell me that, you know, the toxicity and abuse that I was witnessing, like, that's what it is. You know, this is what I have to deal with. This is my only option. Um, so that's what felt the most natural. Honestly, this is the um, healthiest relationship that I've ever been in now. And it's really only getting healthier. Um, and I think it's due to me really speaking up about, you know, boundaries, what I went through, being very vulnerable with my boyfriend about, you know, what I experienced and, you know, how it carries with me, like being completely honest, like, yeah, I have daddy issues and it's real, like it's genuinely hard, like, you know what I mean? And I feel like just having that open connection and genuinely wanting to have better for myself and not want to repeat those cycles um like that's that's really helped so much i've even confronted my father like you said you know that was so scary like sitting in front of him confronting him crying to him and saying you know like i kind of need an apology like that was crazy but the fact that it happened and i actually got it um i feel like it was healing but the biggest wake up is that it wasn't i you would think oh if i got an apology from my dad that means i'm healed right like no more childhood trauma no like i gotta take that apology and now i actually have to like you know carry that with me and realize you know i was never the problem i don't have to people please i you know all of that really was something that you know i can forgive and move on from and build my own patterns you know build my own generational experiences so that way i don't have children that grow up like me and spend, you know, almost two decades trying to figure out, you know, what's wrong with me? You know, how do I, like, what even is love? You know, will I ever experience it? Is it even real? Because like love is really such a beautiful thing and it's sad that it gets completely tarnished by a bunch of damaged people that really have no clue how to, you know, have relationships with others because they have a horrible one with themselves. Absolutely. From my childhood, I noticed in my relationships, both romantic and platonic, that I'm very avoidant. Like, I don't like confrontation. Like, when me and my friends fight, I think it is the end of the world. And it's not even a fight. We really, we're really, really just having a discussion. But I think everything's an argument. And I think that's also because my parents always argued and made everything an argument. So I really am avoidant with confrontation, setting boundaries, because I just want everything to always be so peaceful, and that can't be the case, because, you know, we're humans, we're always changing, things like that. We have to stick up for ourselves, be there for ourselves, so I'm always leaving myself behind in that type of area. And Nettie and I were talking the other day about how we just, it's hard for us to approach men, like, we're very weird about it, we don't we don't know how we just don't understand them like we don't understand their emotions we don't understand like 
what are we saying just why they are the way they yeah, are like, why they you, are the way they are like yeah like you know how do you decide because we we speak about how we're very deep people you know we don't like little conversations like we want to know everything you know what i mean like let's break out the childhood mm-hmm. trauma yeah within the, within the first couple days and i think that real. could be us being psychology majors right. <laughs> <laughs> we like to psychoanalyze everything people but whenever I am emotional, I really try to just put it to the back of my head. Like, why are you even feeling like that right now? And that's not how it should be. So whenever it comes to, like, relationships, stuff, I do start feeling something deep for that person. I'm like, wait, why? No. Abort. Go mm-hmm. now. Because one thing I've learned, you can put aside or suppress or box up your feelings as much as you want. They're going to resurface mm-hmm. eventually. And it's only a matter of time. So that's why I've always been an advocate for sitting in my feelings and really acknowledging them because even people who say that they can just like put their feelings on the back burner or whatever, it's going to come back eventually and it's going to come back in some in a karmic way. Right. Yes. Still there. For me, two of the main ways that I've seen my childhood like experiences play out into my relationships, one would be I guess platonically and romantically, like, I set boundaries early on as far as, like, I have abandonment issues. I've struggled a lot throughout my life, not just with my father, but with friends, you know, just discarding me at any given moment without warning and me never really understanding what I did, which feeds into, like, my people pleaser you know persona and like always feeling like I need to like mold myself to like keep the attention of the people that I care about the most and so when I'm you know talking with someone or have a friend I always let them know like it is very important to me to like keep communication and if like you're not feeling something or if something like offends you please let me know because I would rather have a hard conversation than a lost friend you know what I mean and that's been one of the biggest things for me is that like I hate that feeling of like losing someone or something for no reason and so like that abandonment feeling really has a hold on me and I've been trying to you know manage it and like set boundaries and like do things I can to like mitigate that feeling the best I can um but another like I guess I would say feeling that I deal with a lot going along with that is like trust like especially like in relationships that I've had with men like I don't know like since we were talking about like when I grew up in a child or when I grew up in a household of women like and I didn't really have my father's presence a whole ton growing up like I think I like never fully realize like how to develop like a good like relationship with like men or like how to understand them on a deeper level so I think there's just like a lot of disconnect there um and so it does make my relationships uh, with men harder because sometimes I just feel like there's no hope like we can't understand each other we're not on the same page I feel like I let trust like get in the way of some things because of ways that I've been treated in the past and so in those ways I feel like those are like the two main um, ways that I've seen you know kind of like that feeling of abandonment and that feeling of lost trust playing out into my relationships yeah so in your opinion what would you say is the importance of healing why is it necessary to address our childhood traumas now going into adulthood? I feel like it's important because when you're healing, I feel like that also heals like your mind as well. And I feel like people, the power of the mind is very powerful in my opinion. Um, If you feel good in your head, you know what I mean? And you're doing the work, then you're more present in your life. You're building things for your future. You're not doing things to destroy who you are. I just feel like when you ignore it, you're not, you're not, I don't even know. I think I, yeah. I get where you're coming yeah, from. Yeah, like when you like, ignore it, like yeah. you're setting yourself back. Exactly. 
like you're pushing just opportunities back yeah like the beauty of life you're just not even present in it Mm -hmm. at all yeah like i feel like like you said you know the power of the mind is so important i feel like when you look at people that live to 100 and things of that sort you know they seem to be pretty pretty witty you know still pretty intelligent they still got it up there um and I think I think that does I think that mental health really does kind of have a um, leg up on physical health sometimes because really your mental health can affect your physical health like if you have a mental illness it can cause a lot of different physical ailments in your body and you're really holding yourself back from actually living life and really experiencing the beauty of life by leaving yourself in this pit of just, you know, despair that you've been through. Yeah, like just stuck. Like who wants to be stuck? You know, it's really sad that, you know, so many people experience trauma and then immediately, you know, that's it. Like that's where they're at, that you just stay there. Um, When instead, you know, you can just manifest that into so many other things, you know, use it, why not? Um, I literally, I remember I first kind of realized that I got an opportunity to like go on a trip and everything and go to this program um, because I wrote an essay about, you know, really childhood trauma and how I was getting through it, um, you know, as a senior in high school. And it was like, hey, I mean, (laughs) you know what I mean? Wait a second. Like if I actually like really own this stuff and like just... You know what I mean? Like, it's a part of me, but it's not me. You know, this is just something that went on. These are the cards that I'm dealt with. This is how I'm making it work, you know? And having that type of mindset, I feel like, sets you a lot further than just just having some label of being traumatized, having some label of being, you know, I went through this. I have daddy issues. That's it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When you could really develop an actual life for yourself, like, take control. You know, it's your life. You don't, you shouldn't let other people and how they treat you and those experiences determine who you are you're in charge of that you know that's part of autonomy and like having control over yourself and your body and and like you said the goal is to break the cycle Mm -hmm. the goal is to see who's gonna pick up the book who's gonna do the work because ultimately as we were talking about the trauma that we hold, the trauma that our parents hold, the trauma that our grandparents hold, it is passed down from generation to generation. And the trauma that we have very well might be passed to our kids if we, in our future family, if we decide to have one. Like, it's all about breaking the cycle because we cannot hold on to these feelings in these experiences without understanding and recognizing the purpose of them and how we're supposed to grow from them and I think that's where the disconnect is is that people think that bad experiences are meant to be hidden and suppressed and forgotten about but you can't truly realize how much you've grown unless you realize how much you've been through you know that's very true. Like, only you know how far you've came, really, at the end of the day. Right. So, kind of going off of that, for your own personal life, how did you, past tense, or how do you currently identify your own trauma, and what advice would you give to someone trying to do the same? Um, honestly, I pay very close attention to young Nettie. Like I said, you know, I work with kids. I love working with kids. I think they're, you know, like the purest, just love energy. You know what I mean? Before all the trauma and craziness and the real life stuff starts kicking in, like that's really when I feel like humans are at their best when they're kids and they don't even realize it yet. Um, so it's like part of healing myself is just realizing, you know, I'm in control now. You know, there are a lot of things that I still can't control, but I have to just accept that and, you know, move forward past that. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, young Annette was so, you know, depressed because of things that I couldn't control. And, oh, my goodness, you know, do, do other people love me? Do other people this? You know, just so much, so much, um, 
I think I struggled a lot with my self-worth. I felt like my worth depended on other people, you know, how other people treated me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I got into psychology, too. I remember, you know, picking up a book in psychology when my mother was in college, reading through her textbook. That was the first time that I really started to understand like my dad a little bit like it sounds crazy but like literally looking into you know how other people act and how you know sometimes it's due to brain chemistry you know just other things life factors and um I think just looking into that helped me realize like wait a second like this has nothing to do with me I don't think this has much to do with me like you are a damaged person you're literally young you're like in your 20s and you have to raise this kid and do everything right that's not always going to happen um so I think now I just take very very good care of myself I try to be a very good friend to myself listen to myself think of you know what did young Nettie always want what did she always imagine for herself you know what did she love to do what made her happy what made her feel good about herself before everybody else and everything else started to leak into it you know like you said what was the authentic Nettie and I think um I'm trying to connect with the old authentic Nettie and kind of create the new authentic Nettie at the same time like you know it's okay to adopt new things too like I'm I'm becoming a grown woman, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. wait a second, I can really kind of do almost anything, you know? Instead of making, getting older and having to face trauma so scary and depressing, it's really like, wait a second, there's so many doors in front of me now. Instead of being trapped in this closet of trauma, now I'm like looking at all these doors that I can go into and start different paths for myself and for my future family at the end of the day. Like, mm. it's really a beautiful thing. Like. Like the question before, healing is really a beautiful part of life. Say that. Say that. Lady speaking. I now give you the rights to my show. Right. You're the new host. Um, thank you. Good night. No, I'm just thank you. Thank you. Busy thanks. Once again, I just want to thank you both, Dre and Nettie, so, so much for being here. I know I personally got a little bit emotional um, just being able to talk with you two and hear your stories. It really opened up a side to all of us that I feel like we didn't get to see before, or at least I didn't get to see before. So I just appreciate you all so much for being vulnerable and being able to share that with me because it really has taught me so much about how I want to move forward um, regarding addressing and healing my childhood trauma. So I just wanted to say thank you so much, and I love you guys. I love of you. Thank love you. Too. Well, thanks for having us. Of course. So to close this episode, I do have an original spoken word poem that I have finally gained the courage to share with listeners. Um, For those of you who know me personally, poetry is something that has always meant so much to me, but I'm still kind of figuring out where I want to stand as far as performing it and sharing it with others, Um, which is why I think that this podcast has been a really great project for me because it's encouraged me to share more of my vulnerable pieces. Um, And so this poem... As um, I kind of alluded to in the episode, um, addresses kind of the the feelings that I felt um, throughout my years um, as it pertains to my relationship with my father. Um, and so, you know, very basically, it's called Daddy Issues, um, but also partly because that's one of my favorite songs by The Neighborhood. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I really hope that you all can 
really absorb the words that I'm going to be sharing um, and understand kind of the place that I was at when I was writing this. So without further ado, here is Daddy Issues. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? They ask. I assess my options. I've never particularly liked heights, and I'm already quite quick with my feet, so I settle with a safe choice, mind reading. But in all reality, I'm much more of a shapeshifter. For example, in the comfort of my new home, in a city where no one from my past resides, I'm fierce, aligned with my truth, passionate and driven. Then he calls. I collapse back down to my roots, the only thing that will fit inside the limitations of familial expectations. Quiet, obedient, people pleaser. I pick up the phone to my father, who art in heaven. If only he knew that the same hands I prayed with dripped with tears from my face that the only thing separating his golden child from literal insanity is inhaled through my lungs and exhaled through my clenched teeth, and that the thought of losing the only father I arguably never had keeps me shifting every fucking time. And with that, this week's episode has come to a close. Thank you so much for tuning in to Woman Identified. See you next week.